the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. So the Arizona Diamondbacks, the team that we saw in May? God, I hope not. This is Steve Zensmeister with Derek Montia and Cody Fincher as well on the Ain't No Fang podcast. Joining us this week is Diamondbacks broadcaster Mike Farron. Mike, what's up, man? It is a, an honor and privilege to be with uh, you gentlemen and Cody. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, <laughs> wait. No, that was perfectly said. Well done. Uh, no, well you done. guys know that Cody is like my favorite, right? Like, the, oh, I, wait, like I work with him. Ha. I work with him six days a week for six months out of the year. He does a tremendous job as our tech director on Diamondbacks broadcast. I'm glad to hear that he has a job, that he actually does work here. Um, <laughs> we've well, we've I don't know that he's getting paid. That. He just shows up. We were yeah, starting yeah. to wonder, Mike. Um, yeah. got his, uh, pretty much how it goes. I kind of teased it a little bit, Mike. Um, May was just so awful for the Arizona Oh, was it? Yeah. I hadn't noticed. I don't know if you were watching. Um, it's one of the worst months in their franchise's history. So I guess the, the easy question is, is that who this team is or are they something else? No, I think that they're. I think there's something else, and and let me correct you on it. It is the worst um, month Fair in history yep. for uh, the, from a, a, a winning percentage standpoint. Um, no, I think that they're a little bit better than that. So so let's you know, nobody, everybody talks about not wanting to use injuries in the, as an excuse. However, injuries are always kind of the best excuse. And at one point, they were without three members of their starting rotation five members of their everyday lineup, um, two key bullpen arms and two coaches. So I mean, they really, I mean, like it really impacted them. I think now you're starting to see the lineup get back and healthy in the last 10 days. I think they've swung the bat better. Um, the rotation is going to be a question with four guys now on the injured list with Bumgarner going on the IL, although they're pretty confident that this is going to be a short stay. And the fact that they have off days on Monday and Thursday of next week, you know, probably help to, to mean that he, he may miss like one start basically, but I think it's still, you know, it's safe to say that that they would have a lot of work to do to get back into the race. But I do think that they're capable of playing better, significantly better in the month of June than they did in May. The latest addition to the IL, uh, Madison Bumgarner. (laughs) Is he? I feel like he just kind of was missing out. You know, everyone else was going on the IL, so why not him at this point? Um, He's been great at times this season, but also has been not so great at times this season. Um, Where do you estimate that will affect this team going forward? So I think there are some pretty clear lines that you can draw on this. And, you know, obviously the first, first part of the year, he was doing some things that sounds like that he wasn't all that comfortable with in terms of the way he was approaching hitters. Then he got locked in, right. And he had arguably the best month of his career, you know, not calendar month, but a month stretch of his career. And then he had the groin, um, the adductor spasm in Los Angeles. And then he told us that it's been what, two to three weeks that he's been dealing with some shoulder stiffness or, or shoulder soreness, however he categorized it in post game um, uh, on Wednesday. And so I think you can kind of draw a line to the last four starts and that there was a physical ailment that was hurting him, even though the velocity was good. I think it was preventing him from finishing his pitches. His, his cutter wasn't where it normally is. So I think that there's, um, I think that there probably is a good explanation for what happened over the course of the last four starts that is injury related. 
And once you get back from that, assuming that he is able to get all the inflammation out or, or whatever it is that, that's causing the issue and get back to being healthy, I would not be surprised. Now, listen, I don't think he's going to, you know, pitch to a, a you know, a, a point something ERA, but I think you will see something that's far more Bumgarner-ish when he comes off the injured list. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, Mike, I, I have a question for you. I, I know, obviously, we've never seen anything like this with injuries to a starting rotation, but do you feel like there are so many injuries on this team that the players are getting to a point where, like like Bumgarner, that they don't even want to really, you know, kind of address injuries because they might get pulled, and at this point, like, they're, they're needed, like, bodies are literally needed? I think it's a really good question. I don't get that sense overall. Now, again, we have been limited in terms of access, you know, clubhouse access because of, of, you know, we're, we're still uh, fighting through the end of the pandemic. And so I don't know that I can give you uh, a fully formed opinion on it because I haven't talked to enough people about it. But my sense is that for the most part, guys have been very forthcoming about injuries and their willingness to try and nip something in the bud. And in this case with Bumgarner, it sounds like it was very similar to stuff that he had dealt with in the past, and he'd just been able to get through. And so there wasn't any need in his mind to to just really like raise any red flags with it until it became, you know, and and, and they had to press him, right. For like, what's going on? Like what's happening? Right. Well, my shoulder's barking. Okay, great. So I think that this is a different situation than what we've seen with the other, with the other injuries and the way other guys have treated it. And again, like I, I, you know, listen, it's not great to not report that you're not feeling well and get treatment for it, but also I can kind of see Bumgarner's side in this and that it's just a nuisance, you know, and, and it's something that'll go away. So. Well, I think I, I just think about Weaver and I think about how Weaver was in his post game press conference, how he almost seemed apologetic for pulling himself out of the game as a precautionary me- uh, measure because it was simply uh, mechanical in his mind. He said he wasn't feeling anything. Yeah. And then next thing you know, now now he's on the 60 day IL. Uh, after they went and got scans the next day. So yeah, I mean, I think, but I think some of that is just the nature of the competitors too, right? Like you, you say that and you're like, listen, I don't want to, nobody wants to come out of the game and nobody wants to come out of the game, especially because of injury. And so I think some of that's just the nature of the situation more than, than anything that might, might signify that somebody is, um, you know, less, less forthcoming about, uh, about an ailment. Mike, I mean, people look at the record, it's 20 and 38 right now. And I feel like most people look for a scapegoat when you see a record like that. And most of the time that scapegoat is the manager. How fair is it though, with all the injuries, how fair is it to judge Tori Lovello on this year? So um, (laughs) this may not be a popular opinion with um, some Diamondbacks fans, but I actually think Tori's done uh, arguably his best job of managing this year. And I think I'll give you a couple of reasons why. There are a couple of things that he has done in terms of in-game strategy that I really was excited to see him do. And we saw this, you know, when they got off to a good start and he has continued. Uh, Tory had been slow to pull the trigger on offensive changes. Well, that, that pressure point between we might get one more inning out of the starter versus let's tack on a couple more runs for a pinch hitter. Well, now he's erring on the side of offense. I think that's a huge adjustment and a big win. 
I think he has been um, much better in terms of willing to move guys around in the lineup to try and create better matchups, to try and find spots where guys can produce on a given night based on who they're facing versus getting stayed and static in one lineup. And I think that that's actually a really good quality. Um, That's not necessarily one that I think is traditionally viewed that way, but I think you look at the, the managers that are having success with similarly constructed teams And that's the case, too. And I think in terms of selecting the right relievers, I think he has done a pretty darn good job of that. The problem is, is that for a good stretch of about a month or so, those relievers just didn't execute in the spot. So I think when you factor all of that together, I think he's actually and and it couldn't have been easy for him. I know it's not easy for him, but but he knew coming into the year that he was going to have to make some adjustments. And so from an X's and O's standpoint, I think he's had he's done um, as good a job, if not better than what he's done at any point while he's been here. It just hasn't led to the results. And that's very difficult to try and um, detach, I think, when you're watching a team that's struggling and has won a third of its games to try and say, compliment the manager for that. But I really believe that that's been the case with Tory. Um, I don't necessarily think it's fair to, to – evaluate him um, fully based on the injuries that they've had. I don't think that that would be fair. There's nothing that he could do about that. Um, so I think you have to look at those things and, and I'll admittedly put some bias into this because I'm a, a I'm a, you know, listen, I know Tori pretty well and I get to spend time with him every day and have for five years. Uh, and I think in terms of the kind of person that you would want to work for, he is exactly the kind of person you would want to work for. If that's the kind of, you know, what matters to you in terms of having a good manager is somebody that you feel like has your back and is going to try and put you in the best position to succeed and to, to try and, and help you achieve your goals. I think he, he checks off a lot of those boxes. And in my estimation, that's the most important job of a big league manager versus the X's and O's stuff. And while I think he's made improvements on the X's and O's, you know, he, there are probably some things that he could do better in that regard, but still, I think overall it's very difficult to, to, to criticize him based on the injuries and to, to place the blame at his feet when, when that's been the issue, when he's been playing shorthanded the entire season, either by injuries or a bullpen that has struggled to execute. And let's not forget Eduardo Escobar once said he would die for Tory. So that's not something that you get out of any any coach. Uh, what are your thoughts on Reddick and just what he's brought to this team? Uh, not only besides on his mohawk, no, but I was going to say like b- both in the clubhouse, like as far as his, you know, kind of uh, leadership uh, of this team and, and what he's done on the field. I, when Reddick signed here, I got a text from another broadcaster in the league who said, Josh Reddick might be the best human being playing major league baseball. So uh, I think that's pretty high praise. And this is somebody who'd been around him in terms of uh, what he brings off the field. Like on the field, I mean, listen, he's been extremely productive. He hasn't hit for a ton of power. I'm not sure that he's going to be a big power guy at this point. You know, it's been a long time since he had the 30 homer season in Oakland, but he's been very good at using the whole field. He doesn't really chase a whole lot. He, he stays in the strike zone. That's a huge benefit. And he's played a tremendous right field. I mean, I think defensively he's been outstanding. And that's, you know, listen, that's been part of his game. He looks like he's in great shape, um, you know, and I think, 
you know, there's a looseness to them. I think he and, and Vote are very similar in that regard. And like the, you can see how they would be Stephen, he and Stephen Vote would be, you know, kind of like the Butch and Sundance in the clubhouse. I mean, they played together in Oakland. They have different personalities, but a very similar sensibility. And I think they're the kind of veteran guys that you want around young players and guys like Josh Rojas and, and Paven Smith, I think can learn a lot from them in the way that they prepare and the way they approach the game on a daily basis. So I think there's a lot to like about the Reddick signing. It's worked out better to this point than, than I certainly could have anticipated. And I hope it continues because you like to see good things happen to good people. Mike, you mentioned Paven Smith. That's one of my favorite players mm-hmm. to watch on the team right now. And he's obviously becoming one of those pieces that the organization will want to build around. We've noted several times here on the podcast that uh, he was Mike Hazen's first pick in the draft when he came over to the Diamondbacks. So I, I think there is some value there in seeing that your picks are starting to come to fruition as a GM, which, let's be honest, not every GM gets that opportunity to witness their draft picks start to come into the major leagues and come into their own. So my question is, where does Paven Smith fit into the future? Because he plays a bunch of different positions, but it feels like there are other core pieces in those starting roles already. Yeah, I mean, I th- well, like, how? Where do you determine the core? I mean, is the core to me? Paven Smith is going to be here for you know another six years beyond this year, right? Probably so, or including yeah. this year. So you know, it could be that he's playing some outfield in the first base. It could be that he plays a bunch of different positions. I mean, again, that's something that they have really embraced this year. With you know, their two best offensive players or most consistent offensive players have been been he and and Josh Rojas. I, it would be a shame to leave Carson Kelly out of that because Carson really has been very good, but. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, he missed time with injury. And so I think, you know, the fact that he's willing to move around to play, you know, especially the corners in the outfield and first base, I think he's played a better, especially in right field than I, uh, than I thought he was going to. Um, so I think he's you know, one of those core pieces that, that he can be, um, you know, a multi-positional guy and, and, you know, get on base and hit some doubles and, and hit for a decent average. And, um, you know, that's kind of what the hope was, I think when he was drafted and I'm not sure that he's, you know, despite the long home run, he hit off Stroman the other night. Like, I don't know that he's going to be, a huge, you know, 30 homer bat like you would have in a traditional first base sense. But I think he's he's certainly a guy that that can give you, you know, 500 some odd plate appearances a season quality in terms of both on base percentage and and enough doubles to have a, a decent slug. Reddick was very tremendously complimentary of Paven Smith and his yeah. his plate presence and his ability to, you know, just swing at uh, strikes in the zone. Um, you know, he even said at one point that he looks at his at-bats sometimes to see if there's anything he can pick up from Pavin, which I think is kind of incredible considering the ones, uh, you know, as, as early into their career. And, and then you have Reddick, who has so many years of experience. Well, I think it speaks a lot about Josh Reddick and how he's always trying to improve, too. But I think it I sure. think it's you know, I think what you will see is that the number one driving force in a lot of the player acquisition decision-making for the Diamondbacks has been on the way guys manage the strike zone. And I think traditionally we look at that as walk percentage, right? And how it impacts on base percentage. Really what it is, is are you swinging at the right pitches, right? So are you swinging at strikes? Are you laying off pitches out of the zone? Are you not chasing? Are you not swinging, missing at those pitches? And so, you know, Smith kind of is the poster child for that in a lot of respects because that was his calling card in college. I mean, he what it was the, he hit more home runs than than you know he had more homers and strikeouts his junior year at Virginia. I think it was like fourteen to thirteen, and 
he's always walked and his numbers in the minor leagues are basically one-to-one walk to strikeout. And I think you'll probably see some balance in that as he gets, gets, you know, uh, older and has more plate appearances under his belt belt in the big leagues too. But I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, they want guys that do damage on the strike zone. They want guys that don't chase pitches out of the zone. They don't want weak contact. They want guys that, that drive it. And I think when you see that kind of group of prospects that's coming along, you know, I know Corbin Carroll's hurt, but he would fit into that. Alec Thomas fits into that. The guy to really keep an eye on is A.J. Vukovic at Visalia. That's a guy that hasn't received a lot of attention yet, but was a fourth rounder out of high school last year. Keep an eye on A.J. Vukovic because everybody I've talked to from player development coaches all the way up through the top have been very, very excited with what they've seen for him as a professional so far. But there's a lot to like about what they're doing in terms of having an understanding of the zone and how they control it. Mike, you're talking about the prospects right now, so I'll ask you, which prospect in the D-backs organization are you most excited to see make it to the big league level? Um, that's a good question. I think there's a couple. I mean, I'm really excited to see Corbin Carroll. I know he's going to miss the year, but I think that's that's the easy one. I mean, he's got the he's kind of got the Jacoby Ellsbury starter kit, right? So like in terms yeah. of speed and defense and power. And so I think he's an easy one to, to say. I think beyond that, um, you know, Slade Chaconi is a guy who I, I saw in high school for the first time and he was mid nineties of his fastball. Then he has real power wipeout stuff. And I think he's an, a really interesting arm. Um, I just taped actually for Saturday's pregame show with, with BP show with uh, Tommy Henry. That's another guy I'm excited to see. And I know that the organization really loves his makeup. He's a guy who, you know, he, he said that his uh, philosophy, the, the number one thing that he takes from a mental approach standpoint is to go out and have fun. And, I think you see him in a guy who just attacks the zone and loves to compete and uh, has pretty good stuff. And he's a guy that I think could be here in relatively short order too. Those would be the guys that I think would be at the top of my list of who I'm, I'm excited to see as they come through the system. And you know what? And Alec Thomas, I mean, I like, if you look at Alec Thomas's numbers so far in double a, they're really impressive. And that's another guy that's going to be a part of, you know, a, a core of a next good team. He was a great two way player in high school. He played or, or, or two sport player in high school. He played baseball and football. He had a chance to be a running back at TCU. His dad is the strength, one of the strength coaches for the White Sox. And his dad has muscles that ripple on top of muscles. So like he grew up <laughs> around a big league clubhouse. And so there's a lot of things I think to really like about Thomas, too, is one of those like smaller guys, but with some real twitch and some power. Um, so I would put him in that mix as well. Who are you more worried about? Corbin Carroll with his injury or Christian Robinson with his legal troubles and the fact that he can't even get into the country? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it would be I, – I don't think it would be for that reason that I would be more concerned about Robinson. I think it's the swing and miss that would be the bigger concern. I think in the end, um, yeah, I mean, it, being able to get a visa for him is something that they're still you know working towards. I think at some point, um, you know, once the world starts getting back to more normal too, it'll be a little bit easier to get that to happen and they'll continue to work on it. Um, but I think in the end, like he's like, I don't know if you've ever talked to Christian, but he's, he just comes across as a really wonderful kid and really thoughtful and like, like older than his years, you know, like in terms of the quality of conversation, but the biggest issue with him has been strikeouts and, and a lot of swing and miss in his game. And I think that's the thing that I would be most concerned about in terms of, of him, you know, once he does come back is how he's getting better at making consistent contact. How would you evaluate 
the performance of the front office, specifically Mike Hazen, but also Amiel Sade and, and their whole crew, when we know as a front office you evaluate on basically two things, and it's how much do you win at the major league level, that's first and foremost, and then also how you rebuild a farm system, which might be the biggest calling card of this front office so far is when they started here in Arizona, they went from a bottom, what, five or ten farm system and now probably are top five or ten farm system. So that's great, but not a lot of results in the major leagues. Well, but, but again, like to your point, like the 2017 draft was their first one, right? And we lost all of 2020 development because of, of um, COVID. So, you know, that that undoubtedly had an impact on the results there. Um, I think it's, you know, how I would evaluate it. I mean, I, I think that they're a really smart group and I think that they make smart decisions and I think that they have um, done a, a pretty good job of identifying players that fit the mold of what they want in terms of the way that they attack the strike zone on the mound. I, I think on the mound, they may be a little bit ahead of, of the hitters, but they haven't had necessarily the impact yet that's come offensively, unless you, you want to count Smith in that regard. Um, so it's just kind of worth keeping an eye on, on with that. But I think, you know, for the most part, based on the resources that they've been provided, you know, they, we really feel like if last year had been more normal, I think that team would have been far more competitive. This is a a really disappointing year. And I know it is for them too. I I still would give them generally high marks. And I'm not sure that you would, I mean, listen, I don't know who you're going to go out there and run out and and replace them with that you think would be better because that, that that's to me, like that's the number one thing that you look at when you start talking about evaluating a front offices, are they good enough to, be able to get you to to win a championship and i think that this front office is mike this is completely random and i might be putting you on the spot but what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you while covering baseball what's the weirdest oddest thing that's happened what's the weirdest story that you have from just from covering a game or anything oh gosh um or like that you saw during a game or something so I'll give you a story. So this is so for serious for years we've done we do these spring training tours, right? This is this is a horribly embarrassing story. More than <laughs> yes, <laughs> we like <Yes>. those. <laughs> oh, we um, we were in Mets camp. This is probably six or seven. This is before I started with the Diamondbacks. So it has to be like 2014, maybe somewhere around there, because I started in 16. And. And for whatever reason, you know, my, my radio partner at Sirius is Jim Duquette, who had been general manager of the Mets and worked in that front office for a long time. And so um, he was really close with with a number of the people in the Mets organization. And the Mets that day were beyond helpful, which doesn't always happen with them in terms of like getting guys for us. And so they were literally like picking off David Wright and picking off this guy and picking <laughs> off this guy. And it's like, okay, this is great. All of this. And it was happening so fast that I couldn't even get set. And they bring over somebody in the clubhouse in Port St. Lucie. And I look at them and they're like, all right, you ready to go? And I have to go, Jim, why don't you take the first question? 
And Jim looks at me and he goes, what are you doing? He's like, all right. And he's like, we're here with Bobby Parnell. And I went, he saw the exhale on my face. And I was like, I had no idea who it was. I had no clue. It was their closer that they brought over. And he still gives me grief about it to this day. But it was, yeah, that's, so that's, that's definitely, I don't know that that's what you were looking for, but that's, no, that's one of the more uh, embarrassing moments that I've had. Certainly there's th- a lot of them. I get that so much though, because sometimes when you're uh, at, at the Diamondbacks spring training camp, right? There's just so many guys and everybody's walking around in nameless jerseys and stuff. This and was like, their closer though. Yeah, like, no, no, <laughs> this is a guy that I should I know, right? You know? I did right. that. Uh, you doing it in front of their locker and stuff like that. I did yeah, that at totally. FanFest a few years ago. God, a couple years back. And uh, I bumped into a guy who was wearing a Yasmani Tomas jersey. And I said, you know, like, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to bump into you or whatever. And then one of the staff members came over to me and said, hey, what do you think of the new guy? And I said, (laughs) I was like, what do you mean, the new guy? And they're like, oh, we saw you were talking to Yasmani. I was like, that guy, that's Yasmani? I had no clue. I had no clue what he looked like because I hadn't seen him before. That's awesome. Hey, Mike, we got some games coming up. Uh, Milwaukee, Oakland, and LA Angels, some teams that we don't normally see uh, face the Diamondbacks. What are you looking at uh, in the coming week or so? Well, it's going to be a tough matchup this weekend against Milwaukee's pitching. I mean, you need their top three starters who are really, really good. Peralta, uh, Woodruff, and Burns are all excellent. And oh, I think geez. Woodruff is one of the the leading Cy Young candidates in the National League. He might be, well, behind DeGrom. Um, right. So it's not necessarily going to be easy. I mean, I think, you know, with the Angels, um, you know, I haven't looked at their probables as of yet. Um, you know, that's a really good team. I mean, that's a team that's in first place that they're, they're we're right at the top of the Western division. They're, they certainly are, um, competitive. Their offense hasn't really gotten going to the level. I think they were going to, but, but they have a pretty good deep rotation and deep bullpen. And it's always a challenge facing them. And then with the angels, like I'm bummed that we don't get to see Mike Trout, but I'm curious to see whether or not we, we see Otani play the field at all. Like that I was just going to ask that really excited about is, you know, we get three days potentially of watching Shohei Otani and, you know, I, that to me is really exciting. And, and listen, like, I don't know how, how other Diamondbacks feel, fans feel about this, but because I didn't get here until 2016, but I've always been a big Justin Upton fan. Yeah. I know Justin a little bit. He's just one of my favorite people in baseball, just a tremendous dude. And he's been swinging it all right for the angels. He, he looked, when I saw him in spring, real spring training, 2020, he looked like he was in the best shape I'd ever seen him. And he, he looks like that now too. So I'm excited to see Justin here. I mean, the the angels are for a team that's not very good. They have some interesting players. I mean, Anthony Rendon is excellent. And, and, you know, Otani is obviously, you know, he's, he's a superstar and, um, you know, Upton is still very good. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see how the Diamondbacks match up against them. And, and really I'm, I'm just, like the fact that the offense has been swinging the bat better over the last 10 days, I'm really curious yeah. to see how that helps. And, you know, you got Merrill going this weekend, which is going to help some, um, you know, interested to see, you know, if I don't think they've announced Sunday starter, but I, I, I hate to assume, but there's a chance it would be Caleb Smith and kind of see where he goes from after his first start. Um, just kind of seeing how those things, you know, transpire over the next uh week or so and and how they try and fill in this rotation while gallon and uh widener and bumgarner get healthy better days uh, ahead we hope uh, i i personally <laughs> loved uh uh caleb's fire about wanting to be a starter uh i think that with the interviews that we do especially in the controlled environment with zoom and everything i think that uh you know everybody gives really good well thought out answers 
I, I, I could tell he was trying to definitely choose his words carefully, but he did not, he, he wanted to make it well known at that point when he was still, you know, at, you know, relief in the bullpen that he wanted to be a starter. And uh, I just, I like that. I mean, I know, I know we get that out of guys every once in a while, but he just seemed to really, you know, want to take the ball and yeah. considering, you know, the, the situation, the Diamondbacks are in with injuries, it, you, you need somebody with that kind of attitude. Well, and I think too, I mean, like just watching his, I, I mean, I, I don't know if he would say this, but in watching from the outside, the bullpen stint really was great for him because yeah. he went from being a guy who really, and even in his couple of starts last year, and I know they were shortened and he didn't like the fact that they were shortened, but they were trying to protect him. You know, his command wasn't very good. His control wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And in the bullpen, he threw strikes a lot. And he really threw a lot of strikes in that start against the Mets last week. And so I'm curious to see how he builds on that and is able to maybe use the slider a little bit more because he's got swing and miss secondaries. So that, that to me is really intriguing. He went from being a guy that was like, man, I'm just not sure about him to like, okay, now I'm really excited to see where he goes. And, and I think he deserves credit for taking that role in the bullpen really, really seriously in an effort to improve. Hey, Mike, thanks for spending so much time with us. Sorry you had to spend more time with Cody this week than you originally planned. Yeah. Uh, it's always, Cody, does anybody ever appreciate you for who you no, are? No, no. <laughs> Not even your mom? Well, there was a time during the pandemic where I wasn't allowed in her house, so I'm not sure. But yeah, no, that's the answer. She wouldn't no. even let me come over, so probably even not. Probably <laughs> not even her. You're going to call her next year at Christmas and be like, Mom, I'm coming home. Oh, no, there's the pandemic still going on. Yeah, man. yeah, no, no. Stay away from me. D-backs broadcaster Mike Farron, thanks for your time, man. Let's do this more often. Yeah, of course. Anytime, guys. Take care. Thanks, man. He's Mike Farron, pre- and post-game show host for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Sirius XM as well, and he joined us here on the Ain't No Fang podcast. Hope you'll stick with us for next week's episode as well. I'm Steve Zinsmeister with Derek Montia and Cody Fincher as well. It is the Ain't No Fang podcast found here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.